0: Hello there. Welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Looking forward to a big game on Sunday after what was a big game in midweek that didn't really go our way. And we are, I'm afraid, we are going to have to talk about that just a little bit. But not much, but a little bit because, you know, it's a thing that happened. And we kind of have to pretend, at least to some extent, that this podcast is mostly about football. I know it can tend to veer off in different tangents from time to time, but look, it is what it is, and the football is what it was, and, you know, the Messi and the Neymar and the other bitey, racist guy and the whole lot. You know, we will talk about that a little bit, a little bit. But just to uh, let you know that uh, we have a brand new sponsor on the Arsecast this week. It is only uh, relevant to people listening in the UK, and probably halfway through this podcast, there'll be an ad which will give you all the details. Uh, that should only be played to people in the UK. And so those of you outside the UK, I'm sorry I don't have anything for you this week, but I'll try. I'll do my best to get you a great deal like I have for the people who are in the UK who can take advantage of this great offer from uh, Cornerstone. And Cornerstone, they give you razors and razor blades. And at first I was thinking this was a very manly offer, but of course ladies can use razors and razor blades too, so this is, this is equal opportunity. But you know, razor blades are really, they're really expensive. Like, super expensive. So if you can find a way to make that whole, you know, shaving thing cheaper, why not? And Cornerstone do that. They give you uh, six uber-sharp German engineer blades from just four pounds. And what they do as well is you get a razor, a shaver, a razor shaver, razor, shaver, razor thing. You know, the thing with the handle? And they engrave your initials on it as well before they send it to you. And uh, it's it's all very cool. You can check it out at cornerstone.co.uk forward slash arseblog and you get £10 off your first delivery and your money back if you don't like it. Can't say any fairer than that so check it out cornerstone.co.uk forward slash blog If you have to shave and you need to shave and you'd like to shave Uh, Shaving with a cornerstone razor helps support this podcast. So thank you very much indeed. Right, so that's our sponsor, and I'll try and get other sponsors who can get stuff for everyone all over the world because I'd like to bring happiness to, to everyone everywhere. That's what I would like to do. Do you ever talk to inanimate objects? Just leave that question out there. I'll tell you why I ask is because uh, while I was recording with my guest a few minutes ago, we had some connection issues and and we had to reconnect after a few minutes time. And when I reconnected, he was scolding his computer out loud in his office, scolding his computer for, for, for letting him down, basically, for being an asshole computer, for being shit Wi-Fi, for all that kind of stuff. And I said to him, hey, you're actually, you're... You're giving out to your computer. You're 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 complaining at it out loud. And he went, "Yes, I am." And I do that all the time. Seriously, I am forever talking to inanimate objects. So if I'm in the kitchen and I drop a, uh, a spatula, for example, and it falls on the ground and makes a clattering sound, I don't like noises. Things that shock me, I'll be like, "Ah!" Uh, but I'll be, "You fucking stupid spatula, fucking spatula asshole! What the fuck are you doing down there, dickhead?" And then I'll carry on about my business. And then maybe I'll drop a packet of something or something will happen. Like, oh, you fucking... What the fuck? Always. I don't know what it is. Or I don't know what I expect from these inanimate objects. But I complain at them. Constantly. And I was glad today to find a kindred spirit. Somebody else who does that. Because... It makes you feel better. Because whether it's a a shock or you feel frustrated, you know, I don't know. I remember one night going to make the dinner and uh, went to the cupboard where the potatoes were. Yeah, we all have a special potato cupboard over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Potato cupboard. But anyway, it had been some time since potatoes had been consumed. So I went to the, the cupboard where the potatoes were and there were all the potatoes with the, like, the stringly, like, tendrils and shit. I was like, oh, you fucking potato bastards fucking hate you. Didn't make me feel any better because you can't use the potatoes when they're like that because they could, those tendrils could get into your brain if you eat the potatoes. Even if you peel them off, there's many ones that exist inside the potatoes and they could go like up inside your veins and passageways and stuff and then your brain would become all tendrily and it's like bad. It's bad stuff. Don't eat potatoes that are like that. But my guest today on the show is uh, is Ian McIntosh, the journalist who, like me, likes to complain to inanimate objects when they let him down, when they don't function the way that they should, and that way you feel better and life, you know, life just goes on. Goddamn fucking glass, asshole. See, I dropped the glass. It's a shot glass, by the way, sitting here in my office for no particular reason other than I was writing up here about the Barcelona game on Tuesday night, and it felt like I needed something to sort of, you know just To sort of calm the nerves a little bit, I, I wasn't particularly angry or irate or furious or anything like that, but disappointed, just disappointed after 70 minutes of keeping them out to, to concede the goals that we did. It was like, oh, like if they tear you apart, if Barcelona ticky tacky, fucking tip tap the ball all around you, and it's like Harlem Globetrotters football, and you get, you know, they score, fine. Look, you're brilliant. We get it. You take penalties, special penalties. We know you're fantastic. But they weren't that fantastic the other night. They were just, you know, very good. And, you know, I think that's probably their natural state. Very good, pretty much across the board. And then we get caught in the break, and then we give away a penalty, and it's 2-0, and 2-0 makes it very difficult indeed, doesn't it? Because you've got to go there and actually attack. So I I made that point to somebody, and and, uh, they said on Twitter... Well, actually, you know, it's not like Barcelona are just going to sit off, are they? They're not going to park the bus. They're not going to do a Chelsea and just sit off us. They're going to attack because that's pretty much the only way they know how to play football. The difference is, of course, is that we're going to have to attack with a bit more abandon than we did on Tuesday night, and that will leave more space for them to attack. But hey, I've been in the Nou Camp before and watched uh, Lionel Messi score four goals against us, and that was a team with Silvestre in it. So I don't think, not that I'm trying to tempt fate here in any way, I don't think it can be that bad again, can it? What have I done? What have I done? I've said it out loud, there's no going back. I could go back over this and pretend I didn't say it. But look, whatever happens, we still don't have... Sylvester in the team. And that really is something that should be celebrated. You know, we all have our problems. We all have our issues with the way that uh, this team operates and plays sometimes and doesn't score and doesn't get the results that we want. But from time to time, it's worth stepping back and just remembering that we don't have Sylvester in the team. Have a little drink, eat a biscuit, whatever your poison is, whatever you fancy, you should have a bit just because we don't have Sylvester in the team. We've had some great Frenchmen down the years, but he he was not one of them. He certainly was not. Now, speaking of one of the great Frenchmen, I have to go down to my Twitter here because somebody, somebody said this to me. One second. Bum, bum, bum. I did have it here. Will Coldrick. He says, Can the first segment of the Cast be solely dedicated to Perez? Because Robert Pires, yesterday, at the age of 42 announced his retirement from football at the age of 42. Now, I don't want to take any of the blame for this either. I did have my photo taken with Robert Perez. Perhaps it was like one of those cameras that sucked out his footballing soul. But I don't like to think that's the case. I think, uh, you know, he's 42. I think that has more to do with it than the me getting my picture taken with him. So Will Coldrick says, can you, uh, can you dedicate the first segment of the Arscast to, to Robert Perez? And I said, well, it, normally what happens is I just put the mic on and start talking, and then it meanders off in different directions and all kinds of things. And he said, start with garden fences, and you'll probably end up at Robert Perez that way. Now, I've come at it a different route, but while we're talking about fences, it made me remember the one time, oh, did you ever get your head stuck in a fence? I did once, only for about three seconds. I don't know why. It was when I was in school and uh, coming out of school when I just decided to put my head between the railings. I just thought, hey, my head could fit in there. And then I sort of was like, oh, shit, I can't get it out. And just for those three seconds, it was the most terrifying thing possible because it was when everyone was coming out of school. And if you're that dickhead standing there with your head caught between the railings, what sort of a fucking, oh, you would be just crucified. You'd be in bits. Because you'd be standing there with your head and you'd be going, hey, somebody help me, and nobody would help you. Not a single person would come to your aid because everybody would be too busy laughing, and rightly so. But those three seconds of getting my head caught in a garden fence were were absolutely terrifying. So uh, so there you go. That's the fence talk. But what about the Robert Perez talk? We should talk a little bit about Robert Perez, though, shouldn't we? Yes, I think we should. But, I, you know, in fairness, if we're going to talk about him... We need a bit of background music, right? Something subtle, something that suits the mood, something that kinda you know, might just give a little bit of a hint about about how I feel about Robert Perez. So let's let's see if we can find something. I'll just go, oh. Hmm. This sounds um familiar and reasonable. Yes. This will do very nicely indeed. Robert Perez. What a player. What an absolute gem of a player he was. I remember I was on holidays in uh, in Sitges in Spain before I went to live there in the summer of whatever year it was that he signed. 2000? I think it was 2000. And I remember going to an internet cafe. And the way that you kept up with the news then if you were online was was Arsweb. if you remember. Arsweb had like the newsreel and they would uh, they would do well basically the news the bits and pieces that were out there and the uh the stories were that we were going to sign Robert Perez and then Real Madrid were interested in signing Robert Perez and you're thinking wow well if Real Madrid are interested and Arsenal are interested chances are he's only going to go one place and that's going to be Real Madrid so so who are we going to get to replace Mark Overmars wasn't it just after Overmars had left who's going to be our our guy who's going to do what Overmars did that one season or season and a half but then he joined and it was it was amazing and uh, the great story that he sat on the bench in his first game and Arsene Wenger said I want you to sit here and uh, watch this game and you can you can see English football in all its finery and after about twenty minutes, Pires turns around to Arsene Wenger and goes, "Fucking hell! Is it always like that?" And it did take him a little while. There was this myth that his first season was something of a, a write-off, wasn't there? Uh, that he, you know, he took a whole year to get going. I don't think that's true at all. It took him a few months to get used to English football, and certainly his uh, his first season wasn't his best. But I think he ended up scoring ten goals, perhaps. Uh, In in that particular season I'm just going to look it up here While we're uh, listening to this fine tune Why am I looking at 2009-10? That is the wrong year entirely That's got Denilson in it that year I don't want to hear that Um, I'm struggling here with my years 2000, 2001, that's it Yep Robert Pires, there he is on the bench against Sunderland and in that season now they're showing me 2010 there no no good oh this is getting a bit steamy here seven or eight goals I think because there's a few in there for France and then the next season he was just like amazing the season that we won the double he picked up that injury against uh, Newcastle, was it? Newcastle fans pointing at him and laughing, but he was amazing. And the Arsenal players, when we uh, got the Premier League trophy that year, bowing down to him and the "we're we're not worthy" thing, and uh, he was just a, an incredible footballer. And I remember as well. Uh, He got a great reception when we went to play Villarreal and we were over there uh, for the Villarreal Champions League game and he came over at the end of the game and all the Arsenal fans in the away end at Villarreal were singing his song and he speaks about that moment when he came back uh, to Arsenal to play at the Emirates and uh, goddamn he was brilliant and fantastic and uh, so, so dreamy. My goodness. And he's retired from football. Football is a, a lesser sport due to his absence Not that he was playing very much anyway, recently. Not at 42, you don't, really. Unless you're some kind of, you know, crazy, bonkers goalkeeper. But Robert Perez, ladies and gentlemen, what a guy. And we should just think pretty inappropriate thoughts for the next couple of minutes while we listen to this song. Oh, Robert. Anyway, uh, there you go. That was um, Robert Perez, one of the greatest French footballers ever to play for Arsenal, who was not, Mikel Silvestre. So let's give thanks for having Robert Perez and for not having Mikel Silvestre. Right then, let's get on with the show. And as I said earlier, my guest is uh, Ian McIntosh. Delighted to have him back on after uh, quite a while. I've been trying, but he is uh, a most elusive character. Hello there.
1: Hello. I like elusive character. I feel like a cat burglar.
0: (laughs) That's it. You're like uh, Inspector Clouseau or... No, he wasn't that elusive. I was thinking of the Pink Panther himself.
1: <laughs> he was the elusive one. I'll take one. that. I'll take that.
0: All right. How, how are things in the world of the set pieces?
1: They're very good, thank you. Very, very good. Uh, some, some slight issues with Everton on Championship Manager two thousand one, yeah. two thousand two, um, but, but that that is by and large how it's been for the last six months.
0: I right. It. it sounds like a tough life.
1: Well, you know, sitting around playing fifteen-year-old computer games is—it's is awesome, actually. I'm not going to moan.
0: All right. Well, look, we'll uh, we'll let people just stew in their jealousy there for a little while, and uh, and start talking a little bit about football and Arsenal in midweek did really well for seventy minutes against Barcelona, and then lapsed in concentration. And you just can't afford to do that against a team as good as Barcelona.
1: Oh, yeah, it's absolutely right. And it it felt all along as if there was some kind of atomic, oh, Arsenal moment coming. <laughs> um, and then the longer it went on, you thought, oh my God, they might do this. And there was so much that was good about the performance. I particularly liked the way there were three attacking players stationed around the goalkeeper, the Barcelona goalkeeper, to try and stop them rolling the ball out and building it up from the back to try and force them into kicking it long. Um, it was just, it didn't always work, but little things like that, that kind of time and attention, mm. you thought, oh my God, they're learning. They're going to do it this time. <laughs> but yeah, just sure. I can't begin to imagine how frustrating that was for you.
0: Yeah, it was a little bit frustrating. You know, I, I think people can com- compartmentalise a defeat against a team as good as Barcelona. But it, well, I think what frustrates, or certainly frustrated me, was the fact that when the goals came, they were both pretty much avoidable. Uh, the first one, a breakdown uh, the left hand side, and we, you know, spoken about counter attacks and how you can't allow them to do that. And We allow them to do that, and then the second one, I think <laughs> that comes quite close to that <laughs> that atomic Arsenal <laughs> moment you were talking about.
1: Yeah, this <laughs> the gulf between Flamini's first period at Arsenal and his second period at Arsenal is is really quite profound because when he left first time. I'd, Said that was a huge, huge loss for that Arsenal team. They needed him there. They didn't replace him for years. But second time round, I think it goes without saying, it's not been quite as uh, it's not <laughs> been quite as pivotal to the cause, the poor man.
0: No, well, this is it, and we're all quite surprised because normally he's excellent in the final year of his contract.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> and usually so careful and cautious with tackles in his own half as well. Yeah, who could have seen that uh, that that one coming? Poor. Uh, yeah, it's it's just it's frustrating when you're a neutral like me. Uh, I can't I can't imagine what it's like for you guys. I don't know how you're not all turning to drink.
0: Well, <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll just leave that hanging there.
0: <laughs> Who says we're not? Um, I won't admit to anything stronger than that. But okay, so look, here's a here's a thing that I was talking about, and I threw it out there as a talking point on the blog this week after the Barcelona game. There was an incident... When Jordi Alba went down pretending that he got hit in the face by Giroud and he rolled about on the floor and he was, oh, my beautiful face. And then when he realized nobody was paying any attention to him, he got up to indignantly uh, confront Giroud about the fact that he hadn't actually hit him in the face at all. And he stood there quite angry. At not being hit in the face, when it, that's what it comes down to, and put his head into Giroud's face. Would it be fair for me to say that if an Arsenal player had done that, the Barcelona fellow would have gone down, <laughs> right? You know, I don't want to advocate that kind of cheating or anything like that. I don't like to see it. I don't like it when it's done to us. But is perhaps being able to cross that line... What makes a team and those players such relentless winners? Is that something Arsenal have to have to just get on board with? Because, you know, if you can't beat them, join them.
1: No, not really, because I don't think you want to see your team behaving like that. Mm. Um, yeah, no, no one's above it all. I think every team would pick out, you know, if they're being truthful, they could pick out a moment when one of their players has done something um, a, a, a little less than noble. Um, but you, you don't want to see your players doing that. It, it is irritating. It was it was happening on uh, Wednesday night as well. There was a, a Dinamo Kiev player who was making far more of an injury than was necessary. And I, I honestly don't believe that it, it has huge significance in in the way results go. I think sometimes it will count against you as well. Remember Didier Drogba used to have a thing with Chelsea where he would Um, feign injury to the point where he would actually limp around for another five or ten minutes if he hadn't got the free (laughs) kick in order to prove that he really was injured. That that limping always coming to an end as soon as the ball came near him. He used to drive Frank Lampard up the wall uh, in particular. Um, So, no, I don't think you want to go down that road. I think maybe there are reasons why Arsenal aren't Dominating the Champions League as perhaps they should with their resources, or at least dominating at once in sort of five ten years. Um, but it it's not a lack of shithousery,
0: right? But they, there is, I think, in football, uh, a place for some good old fashioned cynicism, if I can if I can put it like that. So, for example, when Barcelona break down the left hand side uh, just before the ball is played inside from Suarez to Neymar, Lauren Cassiani has the ability to make a foul there on Suarez and yeah. and to prevent that pass pick up a yellow card in football parlance what they would call that's a good yellow card you know maybe yeah. maybe being a bit more on top of that side of things
1: yeah i think that that's a little more towards the light side um tottenham in particular very very good at that this season i i know that i shouldn't be mentioning things like this on on this podcast but uh, eric lamella's foul count is through the roof possibly because he's not very good at tackling, but also because he's very, very good at you know that moment where the transition comes at just sticking a leg out and, and ruining it for everybody else. I don't, <laughs> think, there's, I don't think there's anything that bad um, about that kind of thing, but, but no, clutching your face and rolling around on the ground.
0: Mm. It is yeah. kind of the worst thing, isn't it, when you see a player who's down and writhing around and then when they realise they don't get it, they're back on their feet straight away.
1: Exactly. It's so irritating. It's not a foreign thing, because there are English players who do it, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's been a thing in the English game. Yeah, people were doing it back in the 70s. Um, So there's no sort of, you know, Little Englander thing about it. It's just really, really annoying.
0: Yeah. I couldn't quite figure out what, what was... What was wrong with Alba? Like, was he really trying to convince himself that Giroud had hit him in the face? <laughs> yes. by, by just carrying it on where he could have just kind of sheepishly just got on with his life or, or the game. But to...
1: <laughs> exactly. If you make it look like something's happened, eventually you'll start believing it yourself. Yeah, it maybe. the power been. of the human mind.
0: Yes, well look, that's far beyond my, uh, my uh, reach or scope I have to say. So we'll stick with football for a moment. Um, Arsenal aren't scoring very many goals. I know that, you know, as somebody who is a neutral and you can look on this from the outside um, is Danny Welbeck the saviour uh, that Arsenal season needs coming back fresh legs hasn't played all season could he be the guy to, to spark things back into life
1: Well, on his goal-scoring ratio, in the past, it would be hard to make that argument. But there is something great about Danny Well, there are many great things about Danny Welbeck. I really like him. Um, The thing I like most about him is that he puts as much into his play off the ball as he does on the ball. Um, He works tirelessly when he's there. He's very, very intelligent with his movement. Uh, And, of course, he's he's a very good footballer. But, yeah, we really need to see him getting 20, 25 goals a season to live up to all this potential and if if he was coming back from injury with that sort of cv um then yeah I'd be absolutely in agreement instead what you know what you've got is is what you've said you've got a very good fresh clever player coming back at exactly the point of the season when you really need him mm. I hope it does work out for him Um, But I I wouldn't be staking too much on it right now, just simply because he hasn't scored those goals at the ratio that that they need to be scored in the past.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, Giroud has gone seven, eight games without a goal. Now Theo Walcott's got two goals in 21. You know, if you're a manager, let's say, for example, uh, Arsene Wenger... Gets the bullet tomorrow, and they call up Ian McIntosh because of your vast experience with Everton and Championship manager, <laughs> which is a CV where I think which is far beyond uh, many managers who've done the job in the past. But let's say they, you know, that you're there looking at that problem. How do how do you try and solve that? You know, is there a a, a temptation to stick with guys who have done it? and hope that, okay, well, look, it has to come good at some point, or do you have to say, do you get to a certain point, you go, right, we've got to change something to try and spark us uh, spark us into life again?
1: Look, I have a certain amount of sympathy, because when you've got, uh, remember, you know, Welbeck hasn't always been injured. When you've got Giroud and Welbeck, they're two very, very good strikers. Unless you're going to go out and buy someone absolutely top draw, there's not much you can do this season, really. Mm. Um, you've got, for want of a, better way of putting it, less simplistic way of putting it you've got two sort of four star strikers there, um, yeah. Welbeck as, as I say I like, he hasn't got the, the CV behind him and Giroud and it's not a reflection of Barcelona or even the last six or seven games it's Giroud is not the kind of player that if he came up on the transfer market Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Real Madrid and all that would be fighting over, it's, uh, that, that's the simple truth, he's he's very very good but for a club of Arsenal's size he should be, he should be an option, he shouldn't be the number one thing the The problem is that you know it's a big, wide world. There's a lot of strikers, and and Arsenal have covered a lot of this with this enormous scouting network. We've been told so much about that they do have resources now. The stadium is getting paid down, and there is going to come a point where the, this is kind of more more of an issue than than uh, than it is right now. That they they should have the kind of striker that Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Bayern Munich would would be fighting over. Do you if think so? Available. Do you think so? I think that Arsenal have everything there in their grasp to be one of the biggest teams in Europe. They have the stadium, um, which they very nearly completely own outright. Um, they have the London location. They have the position at the top end of the world's richest league and the TV resources and the fan base and the tradition. And mm. They have every single thing you need to be the biggest football team in the world. And they're not quite there. They're not quite there. It is not as easy as some people say you can't just go out and buy you know the the best striker in the world and then all your problems go away it doesn't it doesn't really work like that but there is no reason why over a period of time they, they shouldn't be able to they shouldn't be able to get there they should have the scouting network set up so they know who these people are going to be as they develop mm-hmm. they should have the resources there that even if they're not going to buy them at the peak they should be able to buy them you know just before the peak sure. and then there are there are there are players who transfer and you think well where where are Arsenal and that you know Lukaku you know surely there's a player with with potential to grow there yeah yeah you know, they where where were they on that um but i mean like in in the summer i i i don't want to sort of turn things around and pretend i haven't said things that i have in the summer my view was that they've got Welbeck and they've got Giroud and unless there's someone right there who's banging form and exactly the player they mm-hmm. want and there wasn't at that time um then you stick with it and you hope one of them steps up
0: yeah no i mean i think you're right in the sense that The way that Arsenal can get one of the best strikers in the world is by finding him before he develops into that player and helping develop him into that that player. You know, we've seen it before perhaps with, with Van Persie and I think Lukaku is in Premier League terms, one of those guys who could fulfill that role. But you know it's difficult, isn't it, to compete against teams like Madrid, like Barcelona, like Bayern, who have this. I mean, you know, I'm an Arsenal fan all my life, and we've got history, and we've got class, and we've got all tradition, all those things that people want to talk about. But when it comes to the to, to the top end, to the pinnacle of European football, you know, we're not at that level. So those those players are going to go to those clubs if they want them. Maybe they, maybe there should be like a, a cap. Barcelona have got three of them at the one time. That's hardly fair.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's harder than, than some people think. It's not FIFA. It's, it's not even football manager. Yeah, you know, it, it takes time to get this down. But Arsenal should be in a position where that's what they're looking to do over an extended period of time. And they've got two of them in Ozil and Sanchez. They're, they're, those are two absolutely world-class players mm. right there. So, so it can happen. Arsenal are in a position where they can make it happen.
0: Right. Well, we'll have to wait and see what they do this summer and who, who they might be able to find to to, uh, to fulfill that ambition, if indeed that's the ambition that that Arsenal have, which is a bigger question. Yeah. Look, so, OK, so this weekend we're back to Premier League action. And Arsenal's last game in the Premier League was that 2-1 win over Leicester, uh, Danny Welbeck's late goal, which sparked all those great commentaries. Yeah. Um, and that's why I'm not particularly worried about how Arsenal go into this game after the Barcelona game because I don't think it's like the Arsenal juggernaut was halted by by Barcelona. You know, the form from an Arsenal point of view hasn't been particularly good. Um, but this this one on Sunday then is is pretty much a must win game, um, especially given the other the other fixture this weekend. It's Leicester and Tottenham this weekend, is it? Is it
1: this weekend?
0: I think so. I've
1: been so obsessed with the Cup final. Um,
0: There's I'm a Cup win final win this win. weekend.
1: I'm afraid so.
0: What? Oh, is it the, the, yeah, the League the, Cup?
1: The Rumblows Cup.
0: The Yeah, the Littlewoods Cup, yeah.
1: Yeah, I haven't even looked at the other ones. Um,
0: no, it's not, it's not. It's um, Leicester and Norwich.
1: Ah, right. Well, okay. that's almost as big a game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you'll be absolutely fine against Manchester United. Um, uh, I think you're, you're also you're right. Losing 2-0 at home after a couple of sloppy moments to the best team in the world... I don't think that's indicative of a team in utter collapse, and Nor is being held by Hull at the weekend, which was largely down to a goalkeeper just having the game of his life.
0: That that Um, happens a lot with us, though.
1: It really does, (laughs) because it happened against Southampton as well, didn't it? Yeah. Um, I I think if you're looking for indicators of of how Arsenal is shaping up, and I'm not discounting some kind of awful late collapse, because that seems to be a kind of Arsenal-y thing to do, I, I would be... More looking at the Bournemouth game where people were expecting some kind of slip-up there and it was just done and dusted quickly. Mm. Um, I'll be looking at the last half hour of the Leicester game where in the past, I don't think Arsenal would have come back into that. Mm. But they kept going. I got a goal from a late set-piece, which is another thing Arsenal wouldn't ordinarily be, uh, be accustomed to doing. There is clearly more character in this team than there has been in the past. Um, and I think that they'll want to send a message out. They want to make, uh, offer some kind of response after what's happened against Barcelona. And I think Man, U- Man United are there for the taking, really. Mm. Did you see him? Um, I, I, go on. I I've just going to say, I've seen a lot more of Manchester United in the flesh than I have Arsenal in the last couple of months. And they're not a particularly impressive team. You know? Yeah. Um, they're absolutely ravaged by injury. They don't appear comfortable in the style in which they're playing. Um, and you've got fans who've just about had enough. Um, I think if Arsenal go there and just go straight for it from the first minute, I think they, they should win that comfortably, which has been a long time since you could say, you know, Arsenal will go to Old Trafford and win comfortably. Yeah.
0: Did you see Louis van Hal talking this week about what he wanted from his team? He said, desire, hunger. A lot of times I use the word horny said so the players the players have to the players have to use their tools um yeah is is there something to be said uh, about an arsenal team that can't score that's going to visit a very horny side
1: well uh, for some reason, it brings immediately to my pictures of Olivier Giroud and those sparkly pants in the newspaper expose a couple of years ago um <laughs> maybe, maybe they're lucky pants, maybe it's time for olivier Giroud's sparkly lucky pants um i, I also. Yeah, <laughs> where do you go with that? <laughs> um, clearly he's trying to lift the mood um, and I, th- I think he's probably done that as well. Yeah, he's been yeah. pretty miserable around there. I think it's going to take a lot more than a semi to get past Arsenal. <laughs> to be honest, I think. <laughs> but even in the first half against Shrewsbury um, the the other night in the FA Cup, it was very, very ponderous. Mm. Um, they, they, they didn't... They seemed to be very, very good at getting the ball to the final third and then everyone stops and then whoever has the ball turns around and boots it back to the centre circle where Danny, uh, where Daily Blenders is, is waiting for them. And it wasn't sort of remarked upon after the game because it all looked so comfortable. But had it not been for two of Shrewsbury's three centre-backs inexplicably deciding to mark each other and allowing <laughs> uh, Chris Smalling to score, I think that could have been one of those games where Manchester United just knock on a locked door over and over again and it doesn't open yeah um i didn't see an awful lot in that performance to make me think there you go that's it turning point yeah. I, I think you'll I think you'll win on
0: Sunday. It's all good. Well, I hope so. Um, um, and obviously, you know, the Premier League has got to be Arsenal's real focus now after what's happened against Barcelona. Second leg, I, I you know, you've got to give it a go. But realistically, um, we'll uh, we'll probably end up going out of that. But uh, another competition Arsenal are in is the FA Cup, and you mentioned the whole game a nil nil. Neither side wanted a replay, and such of the the fixtures that both sides are involved in Hull in a promotion chase at the top of the championship Arsenal in midweek action in the Premier League in the Champions League you know that we still don't have a date uh, for the replay of that game it might take place the week before the sixth round um, <laughs> which is is really really odd um, uh, it gives fans of course no time to, to figure out where they're going or how they're getting there, whichever team comes out on top of, of that particular replay. Where do you stand on the on the whole replay thing? For me, they're like one of the great traditions of the cup is is, is the replay. But, you know, in in the modern age, is it something that they're gonna to have to reconsider?
1: Well I'm a South End United fan, so my, my you know first feeling is replays make huge amounts of money for little teams who don't get huge amounts of money from well, almost anywhere else nowadays. Yeah, um, they've been stiffed over and over again over the decades. However, um, Ollie Kay and the Times came up with what I thought is is just the winning idea, which is scrap replays. But the lower league club gets all the gate receipts because it's not like Arsenal particularly, you know, need extra gate receipts from the FA Cup. Were they to come up against Southend United, mm. just say okay, we'll do one for the big teams and we'll we'll let the replays go. Um, but whoever the lower league team is it's 100% split for the lower league team if it's two teams from the same division it's a 50-50 split on the, the gate receipts right. do something like that provide some clear compensation and then on the off chance you know south end do get arsenal in the cup it you know cuz knowing south end's luck we we would get arsenal in the cup the season they scrap replays and withdraw draw 0-0 at the uh at, at well, either one, yeah. um, and we've cost ourselves some money. Do it that way, and at least there's some compensation. I, I could get on board with that. Yeah. Um, R- Rory Smith on ESPN also wrote a very good piece on uh, uh, Thursday, and uh, he said that you know too often you can ruin yourself by looking for a perfect answer when actually. The most you're ever going to get is a good answer. There's always going to be something that will upset somebody. Yeah. But I think if you're at least providing compensation to the clubs affected by removing the replays, then do it. Yeah. Let's go for it. Because there's absolutely no doubt we're playing way too much football.
0: Yeah. Do you think?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's like, you know, there's a finite amount of butter to go on the toast, isn't it? Your players are going to pick up injuries mm. and they're going to tire themselves out. But it's not just that as well. You get a kind of. Um, A mental sag as well from the players who need to get themselves up for the games and from the fans as well, you know, having to pay for the tickets and still be as excited about Hull and the FA Cup as they are about, you know, the forthcoming title challenge. Sure. Um, I've I've always said there's too many games. I'd personally have a winter break. Um, yeah, keep well, the players in decent shape.
0: I think that would be great, but then what happens is you get more fixture congestion, don't you, at this time of the year? You know, is are there too many competitions, for example? Um, you know, these uh, international competitions that, that players have to take part in, the, you know, Africa Cup of Nations, Copa America, uh, the Gold Cup, uh, European Championships, World Cup, and all well, that has I... got to come on top of the domestic fixtures, in England, of course, is, you know, there's the three... Uh, the league and the and the two cups and then European um, involvement yeah, give, give as me, well.
1: Give me enough time, I'll I'll outlay my FIFA plan. i would mean, have all the international games um, pushed up at the end of the season. Oh, Get yeah. your qualifying camp- campaigns out in um, in two weeks towards the end, and then the tournaments free up a few weeks that way. Make smaller groups. You've only got to play say you know six games to qualify for a tournament right? throw it all together there there's far too much self-interest in football it'll never ever happen
0: no of um, course yeah
1: but but no i think there's a there's a lot of wiggle room do we really need two legs for a league cup semi-final we don't even have two legs for a fa cup semi-final yeah so could we could we grab a game there yeah, yeah.
0: of course we could you should be in zurich today sir. i
1: bloody should be <laughs> I haven't committed any human rights atrocities and they still don't invite me.
0: Maybe that's, you know, you're going to have to go down that road to be properly considered. (laughs) So, uh, you know, between now and the next time we talk, hopefully there'll be a touch of genocide or or something on your CV that, that FIFA could really take notice of.
1: Well, if you want to make an omelette, you've got to be prepared to
0: break some eggs. <laughs> uh, Ian McIntosh, thank you as always. Great to talk to you. Uh, it's an honour to be with you. Thank you very much indeed to Ian. You can find him on Twitter at Ian McIntosh. That's Ian with an I, but also Ian with another I. Not just one I, two eyes. Not I-I-A-N, but I-A-I-N. And then McIntosh, McIntosh. You all know how to spell that. Or you can find his website, check it out. Some brilliant football writing, the ongoing Championship Manager saga, brilliant features, check it out. It's called The Set Pieces, thesetpieces.com. That's where you'll find it. Right, we're going to look ahead to the Manchester United game and other stuff right after this. Arsenal Football Club have hit back at suggestions that a mosaic display before the Champions League game against Barcelona was staged. One particular journalist threw shade at the exhibition of red and white cards, leading chairman Sir Chips Keswick to say, Yeah, 60,000 people all had the same idea at the same time, twat. Sadly, the game was cancelled because nobody brought a ball. Welcome back, and if you heard the ad for the Shavy Thing, please do the Shavy Thing, because not only do you get cheaper shaves and better shaves, it helps support the podcast. And if you didn't hear the ad, well, then don't worry about it. Everyone's happy. We're all good. Got a football game this weekend against Manchester United. Apparently, before we get to that, Arsenal are going to announce some uh, financial stuff today. That's the word, and the story is the word on the street, eh? Don't tell anybody, but the word on the street is that we're going to have cash reserves of over two hundred million, maybe 220 million pounds, nearly a quarter of a billion pounds. That is a lot of cash. And some people say, hey, why don't we spend that cash on players? You're You're not seeing the big picture here. You're just not seeing it. I think there's only one reason why we're keeping that much cash. Conspiracy theories abound, but the only possible explanation there can be is that Stan, our beloved owner, Uncle Stanley, cuddly Cronky himself, what he's doing, he's saying to Arsene Wenger, No, no, you can't have another holding midfielder. No, I need to keep that money. No, Arsene, you may not have the money to go and buy a striker that you so desperately need. Go win the league with these players that you have. You should be capable of doing that. You're not touching that money. And the reason is, he's obviously putting it in a high-yield account, like deposited in the account, and then with the interest that that money earns, he's going to lower ticket prices and make football more affordable for Arsenal fans. That that can be the only possible explanation. I can't think of any other reason why a hard-nosed businessman who's about to build a stadium in Los Angeles would need... Massive cash reserves in one of his other businesses. There's no other reason that it could be. There's certainly nothing weird or or unusual about a football club having a quarter of a billion pounds in cash at its disposal and not spending it. That's not odd at all. It's all about Arsenal. The brand is, we're like Apple, we're like Google and Arsenal. You know, there's a synchronicity. We're just hoarding all this cash. For the benefit of humanity and for the benefit of Arsenal fans in this very uh, smaller sphere that we're existing in, that's it, isn't it? That's got to be it. Yeah, we have consensus on that. Hmm. But we'll see those, uh, those financials apparently come out today. And if not today, some other day very soon. So, hmm. We've got football on Sunday. Manchester United. Not a happy hunting ground for us in recent years in the Premier League. The last time we won there was in 2006, September 2006. Do you remember? This guy called Sesc Fabrigas poked a little ball through to this guy called Emmanuel Adibayor who uh, poked it past the goalkeeper in about the 85th minute. And it was like, whoa, we won. This is great. And ever since then, we haven't won at all. There have been eight more Premier League games. We've lost six and drawn two. So it's not been a good place for us to go in the Premier League. Manchester United, of course, as we know, are a bit of a fucking mess. Everything's a bit all over the place with them. They've been basically shit all season. The manager's doolally's gone crazy. The players are like, fuck this guy. We're getting a new manager in the summer, so who can be arsed? So it's all perfectly set up for uh, another United win because we are better than anybody at snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. I don't know what to think about this game. Like, I don't feel like the Barcelona game will affect us greatly because it's not like we were, we were motoring. You know, it's it's not like that. And hopefully, we can channel some of that uh, that Leicester good feeling into this game when we play them on Sunday. But I think he's got to change a couple of things in terms of the team because the team's not scoring. Giroud's looking a bit tired. He needs a bit of a break. Danny Welbeck came on and looked. He looked sparky, didn't he? Against Barcelona, he ran about and he, you know, he was quick and strong. So, given that the manager, in the middle of a Giroud goal-scoring streak last season, if I remember correctly, he played Welbeck at Old Trafford in the FA Cup, which we won. We won that game 2-1 thanks to a Danny Welbeck goal. And I have a feeling that Danny Welbeck should be the guy to start for us. Up front, now what he does with the right hand side, Alex Oxley chamberlain could be uh, could be out for a while. Knee ligament problems. We don't quite know just yet. Uh, at the time of recording, he was due for a scan today, and we'll we'll find out. But I I have a feeling, I have a funny feeling that could be a bad one for Oxley chamberlain and uh, that could be a bad thing for his Arsenal career as well because he's been given a chance, and every time he gets a chance. He gets injured and he doesn't perform as well as we'd like him to. And um, it's a bit of a shame, but there you go. So he's going to have to think of something. Can he play Theo Walcott there on the right? Would he play Joel Campbell there on the right? Who knows? But we've got to pick ourselves up, don't we? Um, The other bit of injury news is that Gabriel could be back in the team. So maybe he could start. Um, because United's attack is a, a little bit speedy, isn't it? With that guy, uh, Martial, whatever you want to call him. So, um, yeah, but we, we do have to get ourselves going. Not that we've written off Barcelona, not that we've written off the away leg, but like now, the focus is on this Premier League and we've got to we've got to take the points we've got to take the points against United because the other teams I think uh, as we said Leicester are playing Norwich so there's three points for Leicester absolutely no way that they're going to uh, lose that game and Tottenham are playing Swansea and there's no way that Tottenham are going to drop points against Swansea so it's up to us we've got to do it we've got to take three points at Old Trafford for the first time since 2006 we're overdue one we're overdue one but you just don't know with this Arsenal side, do you? You really don't. I'm going to keep fingers crossed, though. I always keep fingers crossed. It makes no difference. But look, let's hope for a good win on Sunday. That would help put the Barcelona game behind us, add a bit of feel-good factor. Then there's midweek football as well, isn't there? Is there midweek football next week? I think, yeah, we're playing Swansea. And then we've got North London Derby next weekend. Holy moly. And then we've got an FA Cup replay. And then we've got... Oh, my goodness. It's, uh, it's a hectic fixture schedule. And that was more difficult to say than you might think. So uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to leave it there for this one. going to hope that we can uh, win the game on Sunday. And after that, we'll we'll just see where we are. Uh, James and I will be here on Monday with an Arscast Extra, discussing all that and looking ahead to the midweek game. Uh, so until then, have yourselves a great weekend. Uh, I'll catch you on the next one. Cheers. Bye-bye.
1: Horny, 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 horny.